0: Tell him tonight. Say Jesus, here I am.
1: people. So we're going to start. If you're still giving your offering or getting coffee, just make your way in as soon as you can. But for the rest of us, we're going to start. And so, hey, it's the first of the year. And uh, one of the things that we were going to talk about, and we started talking about it last week, and kind of the direction that we want to go in is, um, I'm going to teach you on fasting. Thank you so much. And the point of fasting is, is that we want to go into a corporate fast together as a church. And so we're going to talk about that and what that looks like. And kind of how you can interact with that. Uh, But the point of fasting is its power through sacrifice. And what it basically is, is the refraining of food for spiritual purposes. And the thing that's amazing to me, and even as I've had to discover all of these things fresh and new, uh, and I fasted many times in my life, uh, but I feel like God is kind of calling us into this for specific reasons, and so I'm studying it out and looking at these passages, and I'm looking at them in a deeper way. And and I actually had to go to the Lord and had to repent because uh, repent simply means return. And so I had to return to the Lord and tell him, listen, I'm sorry for being so ignorant on this. And, you know, sometimes you think you know something and you realize you really don't know anything at all. And if that's the way it is as a Christian, you know, you're, you're going to be constantly evolving, growing in your knowledge. And And, and not only that, I had to recognize the level of importance that God places on fasting within his word. And it is a very neglected key to tremendous uh, doorways, breakthroughs, encounters, whatever you want to do, however you want to say it, within the scripture. It's shown throughout the scripture as a key to breakthrough. It's shown throughout the scripture for spiritual elevation. And what is often not understood is that fasting is literally to be a marker of our lives. Okay? It's not something you would volunteer for, let me tell you that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. It's kind of like, OK, we're going to fast, or are we going to go to the dentist and get some teeth pulled? Well, I think I'm going to go see Dr. So-and-so to get my teeth pulled. Um, but we're, gonna, we're making it easy. We're going to do a Daniel fast, which is uh, a little different than the complete you know, abstaining fast. Uh, so, but it marks a believer's life. In Matthew chapter 6, it's the center point of the book of Matthew 4, 5, and 6 in parts of 7 is what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's like the longest teaching in one block that Jesus ever gave, and some call it the Manifesto of the King, which is a declaration a king would make is to describe what his kingdom is, or not only describe what his kingdom is, but to describe what his followers look like and how, how we interact as followers with his kingdom. And in Matthew chapter six, he uses these phrases. He says, when you pray, when you fast, and when you give. He doesn't say, if you pray, if you fast, or if you give. And so we see three things that he expects from those who follow him in his kingdom is that this is to be a rhythm within our lives as prayer, fasting, and generosity. So we see that, that it's not something that's uncommon. It's not something that's to be extraordinary. And it's only not something for the hugely sacrificial Christians. It's something that's to be a part of our lives continually. It also marks intimacy and creates intimacy. There's a passage in the book of Luke and they were talking about fasting and the Pharisees, which were the religiously correct, they're the teachers who knew everything and they had everything right, you know, according to them, and they would always be the ones questioning Jesus and and, uh, they came to him in this passage and they're like, why don't your disciples fast? In other words, we fast, our disciples fast, John's disciples fast, everybody's fasting but your disciples aren't fasting, which gives you an indication that to the Jewish culture, fasting was a rhythm within the culture, it wasn't something that was foreign to them. And Jesus says, listen, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? So what we see here is he's given us an insight into fasting, and one of the insights into fasting is intimacy. In other words, my manifest presence is with them right now, so they don't need to fast. But when I go, they're going to want and they're going to be hungry, and they're going to want more of me. They're going to want what they're experiencing with me right now. And then when I'm gone, they will fast. So what Jesus was showing them is that fasting, what fasting is, one of the things fasting creates is it creates intimacy, closeness. And one of the ways you understand intimacy is into me you see. So we become intimacy, intimate with the Lord. We begin to see him differently. We begin to understand him differently. And not only that, he, we, we oftentimes read him, but we let him read us. He begins to show you different things in your life and shifts and changes and directions and patterns and that comes through intimacy. And Jesus shows us different ways to be intimate with him. And one of the ways he teaches us to be intimate with him is through prayer and fasting. You can be intimate with the Lord in different ways and each each expression of intimacy produces a different result in you. And I believe that that prayer and fasting produces a level of intimacy that you can get no other way. And we can be intimate through reading the word, we can be intimate through prayer, we can be intimate through worship, and we can have this intimate relationship through soaking and hearing the Lord and all of these different things, but I believe prayer and fasting is a completely different level and a different type of shift that begins to happen. What I want to talk to you about this morning, I kind of gave you what the what of fasting was last week and why food is the problem, and food has been the problem since the Garden of Eden. I mean, Adam and Eve, they didn't, you know, win a checkers game and cause the nation cause of people to fail. They ate of something. They didn't fast the thing that God told them to fast. He told them you can have everything, but you need to fast that tree. That tree belongs to me. That's a portion that I've set aside for me. And so I'm putting my presence among you and I want you to show me and demonstrate some things with me. So it was a problem it was a problem for Esau. Esau sold his birthright for food, you know. And so what happens is, is the hunger for this world often causes us to forsake the hunger for the things of the spirit. And essentially, that's what fasting is. Fasting is setting aside a hunger for the things of this life and saying, I'm not hungry for this, I'm hungry for you, Lord. I'm hungry for your purpose, I'm hungry for your presence, I'm hungry for your word, I'm hungry for your destiny, I'm hungry for your spirit, I'm hungry for your change, I'm hungry for your will. That's what fasting essentially is, is we're setting aside and it's a shifting of appetites and we're not, I don't want anything that you don't want me to have and I'm turning away from these things and I'm turning my heart to you in order to gain the things that you have for me. And how many knows Jesus has a better plan than you, OK? He's got a better plan than Wall Street. He's got a better plan than your career path at your job. He's got a better plan than the, than the, the, you know, the degree program you're in at, at your college. Jesus has a much better plan than any of that. And so in order for us to activate in that and to know that, we have to be hungry for it. There's something about our hunger. Our hunger pulls his world. That's just, just something about it. It's not really understood, but the things that we're hungry for is what we attract and what you're hungry for. And Jesus said, if you hunger and thirst for what is right, righteousness, what is right to God, you'll be filled. So we, we see all of these understandings and all these, di- these different indications within the Bible that tells us that appetite matters and what we want and what we're hungry for matters. And so the whole idea of seeking first the kingdom of God and what is right to him, he said, and, and everything will come your way if you'll be hungry for the things of heaven. Fasting is something very significant. Fasting is something the father wants which is really important. Uh, Justin and I were talking in the back here. I'm on a little bit of cold medicine so my mouth's getting a little dry here. You pray for me. <laughs> and so uh, what happens in the, we we're talking in the back, oftentimes when we teach fasting, we're teaching it from the perspective of ourselves, which is fine, uh, you know, because we are to fast to gain things that we don't know. but. There's another perspective within the Bible that God calls for a fast because he wants to do something. And so oftentimes when we understand fasting, it's because we need something, we want something, we're looking for a shift, we're looking for all these different things, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but there's an also a higher purpose that God actually wants a fast because he needs somebody to align with him in order for him to bring his purposes into the world. God does nothing but an answer to prayer. He does nothing until he gets people who will believe him and who will stand in the gap God says, I searched the land looking for someone to stand in a gap. Is there anybody out there listening? Who will go for us? He's looking for people who will believe him for something in order that his will can be enacted upon the earth. Could it be that his will cannot be enacted upon the earth until we align with heaven? It's the whole gospel of the kingdom. We think God can do whatever he wants. He's given stewardship to humanity over the earth. In case you didn't know that. He's given the gospel power to his people. His power and his purpose is given to his people. If we don't go, no one's going to get saved. Jesus could want to reach your neighbor all day long, but until you go, nothing's going to happen. He could want to save you until, but until you submit your will, he can do nothing until we yield to what he wants. If we don't yield, he doesn't do it. You know, that's a, a misaligned understanding of the Lord. Jesus said, I want to gather you as a hand does a chicks, but you would not. So what is he saying? This is what I want to do, but I couldn't do what I wanted to do because you wouldn't align with me. You wouldn't agree with me. Just saying. So the Father wants to do something in our world. The Father wants to do something in time and space. We talk about big buzzword within the church, and certainly in cert- some circles, some people could care less about it. But if you're a little more spiritually inclined, or you're a little more evangelically inclined, which means you want to reach people and you want to see God do something in the earth, you're familiar with this term, it's called revival. Anybody ever heard that word, revival? It means revive, it's the word re, do again. Vive is vitality, life, relife, new life. So revival means a new move, a movement of life, something new happening, something happening that wasn't there before. God wants to bring a revival. I don't know if you're aware of that. Not a revival as we understand revival and oftentimes we're related to it as a revival and we think there's some big party in the church and everything's going crazy and that's a revival. Or we think there's a tent out in the middle of a field and that's, that's, that's a revival. It's not a revival. It's a meeting. It's an encounter. It's an experience. It's something. But it's not revival. Revival transforms culture. Revival shifts nations. Revival shifts generations. Revival affects change within the world around us, depending on the scale. But there is going to be some gradiated or affected change in the world. That's what revival is. And every time you find in the Bible, and there's many instances of revival, and I'm going to read you two passages of what revival looks like, Joel 2 and, Je- and Isaiah 5, 58, excuse me. Every time God mentions revival, and there's more, there's other ones, Um, fasting and prayer is is linked to it. In other words, God does not do anything of any kind of significant scale or even begin to exceed the significant scale until he can get his people in fasting and prayer. We quote uh, even 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their selfishness, that's basically what it's saying, I will hear from heaven, I will move with my hand, and I will heal their land. That word humble, the Jews would understand the idea to humble themselves is to fast. That's what they would understand it to be. So if my people who are called by my name will fast and pray and seek my name, that's what he's saying. So again, you see a movement of God wanting to do something in the land connected to the idea of a group of people beginning to desire God through fasting and prayer that he would do something in their land. Joel chapter 2, big passage on, on, uh, on revival, loaded with promises, Bible's loaded with promises. This chapter's loaded with promises. And the, cha- and the promises in this chapter are directly related to consecrated fasts and prayer. That's the key. So the promises that he lists are related to the consecration of fasting and prayer. God wants to do something. And so I'll just give you the breakdown of the chapter of Joel. I'll give you a little understanding as you're reading your Bible. And if you're not familiar with how the Bible is structured, particularly in the, in the relationship to the prophets... Oftentimes the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Daniel's a little more narrative, but some of the prophets are very hard to understand because there's prophecies. And it seems like the prophet is jumping all over the place. And it seems like the prophet is talking about things that we don't understand. Some some of that is true. When a prophet is prophesying in the Bible, they give what is called, everybody say it with me, near Near. and far. far prophecy. So when a prophet would be speaking, they would be speaking in terms of something that was happening right now, and they would oftentimes give revelation into something that was happening in the future. You see that a lot, okay? Um, some of the passages, I, Isaiah 7, I quoted at first service, where it says, the virgin shall conceive. That's a prophetic verse of Jesus' birth, right? That, that verse, that prophecy, is given in the middle of something that it just completely seems out of place. If you ever read that, Isaiah 7:14 in context of what's actually going on there, that verse seems out of place. And so what's happening is the prophet is having a conversation with the king. The king's wanting a prophecy, he's wanting a word, the prophet's interacting with him and telling him all this stuff about what's going on. And then all of a sudden out of the blue, and he goes, oh yeah, and the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. You know, Just like out of the blue, he says that. Well, why would he say that? Because the prophet is prophesying and the Lord is revealing things. And it's kind of like, squirrel, you know, kind of like something like that's going on. And, and so in Joel chapter 2, the first part of Joel chapter 2 is dealing specifically, and even parts of this following part, is dealing with specifically with the return of the Lord. Jesus' return, the day of the Lord it would be known as. But the people weren't asking about the day of the Lord. They were asking the prophet, where is God? Is God going to do anything in our land? Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And so the Lord begins to answer the people through his prophet and saying, you want to know where I am? I'm going to tell you. You want me to do something? I'm going to give you a prescription. This is how I operate. This is how I work. And he tells them in Joel chapter 2, verse 15, he says, blow the trumpet in Zion. In other words, gather the people. Bring them all together. Run them all together. Run them right around (laughs) here. Consecrate a fast. Consecrate means with sacredness. So bring something together that is sacred, a fast is sacred. He's telling them, set aside a portion, set aside a portion of your life and call it sacred to me. Set aside something that, is, that, that means something and fast before me. Call a sacred assemble. Gather the people together. Sanctify the congregation. That's everybody. So he's saying, bring everybody together and say this, because they were asking God to do something great in their land, and God wanted unity. Assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing babes. See, she's part of it, too, right there. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride come out of his dressing room. So they were asking God to do something important, and he said, I'm going to do something important when everything for you, when this becomes the most important thing to you. When this matters to you, it's going to matter to me. It matters to me, but I'm looking for some people that it matters to. So set your wedding aside and fast. That's what he's saying. That's literally what he's saying. Let the bridegroom let the bridegroom come out of his chamber. In other words... You know where you want to believe me don't be saying it's levels of priority this has to be at the absolute top of your priority list if you want me to do what i say i'm going to do this has to matter to you let the priests who minister before the lord weep between the porch and the altar let them say spare your people you're all priests so you don't know that just in the pastor we're a kingdom of priests according to peter right we're priests unto our god we're a royal priesthood right that's who we are let the priests, and every single Christian is to have a ministry. You're to have something active in your life by which you are serving the Lord, whatever that looks like. Every Christian is a priest, a minister before the Lord and before the people. And every single Christian is to have a ministry, some aspect of their life where they're serving God and bringing about his purposes, whatever that looks like. It's relative to how God has made you. It's relative to That's, that's more of a relative thing, but, it, but nonetheless, it should be there. And he says, let the priests who minister weep between the porch and the altar. In other words, let it matter. Let them, say, spare your ha- let them say, spare your people. There's another part in Joel where he says, rend your heart and not your garment. Let it matter to you. Let it matter to you. Does it matter to you that there's a generation that doesn't know Jesus? Does it matter to you? Most, people, most Christians today would go, well, "It don't care to me. It don't matter to me. Well, this is what he's telling us is to make, let it matter. Make it matter. Make it matter that the people around you don't know the Lord. Make it matter. Listen, this is eternity. This isn't a joke. You know, there's not, there's like the, the, the facts are, if you don't know Christ, you're eternally lost. That's not politically correct. That's not even doctrinally, a lot of churches wouldn't even say that anymore, but that's biblically correct. That's what the Bible says. You know, we're lost in our sin and eternally damned without a Savior, Period. That's an inconvenient truth, right? Al Gore likes to talk about inconvenient truths. Well, i got a more inconvenient truth than Al Gore, and it's this one. It's an inconvenient truth. There's not many ways to God, there's one. It's not Jesus, the old, Jesus one among many. It's Jesus the one and only. One rock star, and his name's Jesus. All, all Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In this life or in the one to come. One way or another, even on your way to eternal hell, they're going to acknowledge, yep, you're Lord, psh, Gone. thank you. And he says, spare your people, let them not give their heritage reproach. The nations should not rule over them. Where the people say, where's their God? God said, if you'll fast and pray and seek me, I'm going to show up. You're not going to wonder where I'm at. You're not going to be confused where I'm at. Justin was just telling me, he was on, a, we were talking back here about fasting. He was telling me he was on a 21 day fast and he just saw all God do all of these crazy things. And he said, I, he was doing so many things. He said, I had to start writing them down. You know, he said he was praying for his employer, you know, the guy he works with. And he said, employer decided one day he's going to come to church with him. And he said, I've been talking to this guy for like two years, and all of a sudden he's saying, you don't want to come to church? You know, and he said when God was showing him, it was in the middle of the fast that these things were happening. And he said all these different things that were happening, and the Lord was showing up, and just, you know, all this stuff was going on. They won't know. You know. Anybody wonder where God is? I don't know if you know this, but unbelievers go, where's your God? Where's your God? Okay, you guys got an insurance policy. You know, you're saved and going to heaven. That's basically what the church celebrates. Woo, we're going to heaven, we're going to heaven. Oh, thank God for heaven. But what about the rotten here and now? Is he not just the Lord of heaven, or is he the God of the rotten here and now? Does God want to only rule heaven, or does he want to come and do something great upon the earth? I believe he wants to do something great upon the earth. I believe he wants to do something in a generation. I believe he wants to do something now. That's what I believe. And he wants to do something in your life. He wants to manifest glory and manifest presence in your life, where no one knows that, wow, that person's got favor on them. They don't have to wonder where God is. They have a difficulty and something happens. And, oh, you're just lucky. No, it's not luck. It's favor. And there's nothing fair about favor. They shouldn't have to wonder where your God is. He's among us. He said, if you'll fast and pray, I'm going to do this. He said, I will be zealous for my land. Does anybody think our our land needs Jesus? I mean, we need Jesus more than any time in history. This country needs Jesus. We're driving a bus over a cliff with the way we're operating as a nation. It's absolute insanity. It doesn't even make, there's not even any common sense to the things that we're doing as a country. It doesn't even make sense. We need the Lord to be zealous for our land. Then we need him to take pity on his people. We need him to show up. And he said, I will answer you. And I will say, behold, I bring you grain, new wine, and oil. Somebody said, what's that? I don't know, but it's got to be cool. Whatever Jesus is bringing here, it's got to be cool. I don't know what all the grain looks like. I don't know what all the new wine looks like. And I don't know what all the oil. I got some ideas, but I don't know exactly what it is. But it's got to be cool, and I want it. So, yeah, Lord, bring that grain, bring that new wine, and bring that oil. And you will be satisfied with them. And you will no longer be in a reproach among the people. And I will remove from you the northern army, which means the oppressor, the things that are constantly oppressing you, the things that are constantly boxing you in and suffocating you. God says, if you will seek me, I will remove it. I will drive them to a barren and desolate place. Next slide. Fear not, because I'm going to read you lots of passages of scripture. Oh, you guys are going to get a couple of chapters of the Bible today. Aren't you glad, huh? No two verses, four points in a prayer. You're going to get about 60 verses. So you're going to you're going to walk out of here saturated and loaded. Yes, awesome. You know, dolphin games on. Well, don't worry, they're not going anywhere, anywhere. So. You know. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Please, Jesus, do marvelous things. I want God to do marvelous things. I want to be wondering like, wow, was that crazy? Right? I want to see him. Do not be afraid. What he's taking, he takes away fear. Fast me, seek me. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do great things. Fear will be gone. You will mark it in your life, the things that I will do. I'll put courage in you because of the things that I will do. Be glad, you children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. He has given you the former rain, and he has caused the rain to come down upon you, the former and the latter rain. What does that look like? I don't know, but again, it's cool. All the things you missed out on, all the former things that you didn't get, and all the things that he's got for you in the future. I'm going to give you what you missed, and I'm going to give you what you already got common. Yes, Lord, whatever that is. I don't know. I wonder. I wonder. What is that? But so give me that wonder. What is that? I want that. You want that? It's okay to want it. He wants you to want it. That's the whole point of fasting. Be hungry for the things He says you can have. He wants you to go, I'll take two of those, I'll take three of those, and I'll take one of those. And what do we got for dessert? Oh, you got me another promise over here? I'll take that too. He wants you to be hungry for it. Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when He comes? What is He saying? Will I find anybody believing me for what I said? As if they, that's basically the way it is. I mean, again, I shared this first service, but like I'm in this space and I don't find anybody believing God for anything among the churches. I don't find anybody standing up going, God, give us this generation. And if you do, those voices are very small and they're very distant. Most people are content to just move right along the way. St. Patrick, the great St. Patrick said, give me Scotland or, I, or take my life. And you know what he got? He got Scotland, he got Ireland. John Knox said, give me the same thing. John Knox and Patrick were, in a, were, were contemporaries, and they both prayed that God would bring revival to these nations, and you know what they got? They got revival in the nations, right? Come on, That celebrated. They couldn't even, probably didn't even recognize the significance of what God was doing, and it's sometimes, oftentimes, revival is not recognized as significant until it's gone. You're like, wow, something's different here. That was amazing. Whatever was going on here, that was, actually, that was actually a move of God. This isn't. Anybody think this is a move of God? Anybody think you're moving in a move, living in a move of God? I don't believe we're living in a move of God. I believe he wants to. And I believe what we accept as His, as his what he wants to do is not what he wants to do. I believe he wants to change the nation. I believe he wants to affect change on every level. I believe it's like we don't know what's happening, but something's happening, and uh, Jesus is involved here. You know, it may not be explainable, but I believe God wants to shift schools. I believe he wants to shift culture. I believe he wants to shift government. I believe he wants to shift generation, and he wants to shift churches. I believe he wants to do that. That's what I, I don't believe it. I know it. I know it. You say, what's the key? All I know is he's calling for a remnant that will believe him. He's calling for somebody, like in the book of Joel, does it matter to you? You say, it doesn't matter to you. Then tear your heart and make it matter. That's what he's saying. If it doesn't matter to you, then make it matter. Make it matter. And say, God, give me a heart for the people who don't know you. God, give me a heart for what you want to do in the land, because I don't really care. Repent of your indifference. Huh? Repentance, returning to the Lord. Lord, I got a problem. I just really don't care. I got to be honest here. I act like I care, but I really don't care. You know? So maybe I need you to do a work in my heart so that I actually care again. Or maybe I never, maybe you've never cared to begin with. He so says, I'm going to overflow you with black, new wine, all this stuff. And he says, and I am in the midst of you. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other besides me. You will not be put to shame. It shall come to pass I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. So you say that happened in the book of Acts. That is a perpetual, renewable, prophetic verse. If you will fast and you will pray, I will do a move of God, and my spirit will be poured out in a way, in a new and a significant way. there will be a prophetic increase. My sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see dreams, or young old men will dream dreams. Anybody need a dream? Hello? Anybody need a vision? It's on all of the sons and daughters, all of them. And I will show my wonders in the heavens. And this is, again, a prophetic verse. But he says, Whosoever will call upon, a little bit further down, whosoever shall, shall call upon the name will be saved. There again, we see a, a movement of salvation that's linked to consecrated prayer and fasting. Mount Zion, my people, there, my people shall, there shall be deliverance. Among my people, there shall be deliverance. Again, we see deliverance, which means set free of things, broken through, change. Again, it's linked to the idea of fasting and prayer. So here we see what revival looks like. Revival is significant change within the individual. Isaiah shows it's a significant change among the culture. Mark chapter 9, we shared this last week, but it's trying to bring some of you who weren't here up last week up to speed. Jesus is on the mountain. It's called the Mountain of Transfiguration. It's found in Matthew. It's also found in Mark. Jesus takes his disciples up on the mountain. He says, look, I don't want you guys to be confused. I want you guys to completely understand who I am. Transfigures himself into into his glory. Say, what's that look like? I don't know, but it must have been cool, right? It was so cool that Peter didn't want to leave. He's like, man, dude, I got nothing to do for like the next 50 years. Let's just stay here and just check out your glory, man. This is just like hypnotic and the presence and I don't want anything. I feel completely fine. That's why moses was on the mountain for 40 days he didn't want to come down god probably had to kick him off the mountain because he was in the glory of god the manifest presence of god jesus comes down takes him back down into the mountain finds a boy boys having seizures boys having a problem goes to the father what's the problem he says this is an issue with my son your disciples can't cast the spirit out the pharisees are arguing whether it's even possible so we have a religious culture saying there are no miracles. We have a religious culture saying that we can't take out demons. What do you think you're tired to cast out demons? And then we got the disciples going, no, we can do it. We've seen it done. God's power is with us. We've seen more miracles than this. And so they're having this little theological debate, but no one's having any effect. No one's actually doing anything, or no one's actually affecting the change. And Jesus says, bring him to me. They bring him to Jesus. And immediately when the boy came to Jesus, he convulsed and fell down. And Jesus says, faithless generation, faithless and perverse generation. How long will I bear with you? And he asked the father, how long has this happened to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he's thrown the boy into the fire, so the spirit seizes him, throws him in the fire and water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Again, if you have faith in what I have promised and you trust in what I was promised, immediately the father of the child cried out and with tears and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the people coming together, he rebuked the the unclean spirit and said, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. Spirit cried out, convulsed, and came out of him. And he was as one dead. And many said, the boy's dead. Jesus killed him. (laughs) But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast the spirit out? The indication here is these, these these disciples were operating in kingdom power. And so they're encountering something that they couldn't have, they didn't have authority over. And they're like, why didn't we have authority? We've had authority in these instances before. We've seen these things happening before. You sent us out. We've seen healing, we see miracles, we've seen demons, we've seen the whole thing go down. What's the problem here? And Jesus said, This kind comes out not by, by prayer and fasting. What kind? What kind? What kind comes out but by, by prayer and fasting? Yeah. Someone somebody said deaf and dumb. Yeah, obviously. Go a little deeper. Spirit's generational, okay? Jesus indicted the generation. He didn't indict the Pharisees. He didn't indict the father. He didn't indict the disciples. He didn't, he didn't call anybody out. He called the whole generation out. And he said, the problem here is this is a generational issue. This is something that has been built upon by faithless generations prior, and now you have an inherited a deaf and dumb spirit. And this boy who has had it since childhood, there again, generational, is nothing more than a product of a, of a, of a generational issue. You want to change a generation, is what Jesus is saying. It does not happen but by prayer and fasting. You want to shift the generation. It does not happen but by prayer and fasting. Deaf and dumb. I've read this many times. There is no indication in this verse, in this passage, that would tell you that that spirit is a deaf and dumb spirit. We would look at him, and the boy would fall down and convulse and foam at the mouth, and we'd say, okay, epileptic, spirit of infirmity. You know, we'd be kind of going down that lane. Somebody get me a doctor. That's kind of like what we would do. What indicates to Jesus that it's a deaf and dumb spirit? Well, that manifestation wasn't what Jesus was dealing with. Jesus was dealing with the deaf and dumb spirit of the generation that was producing this. A convulsed, paralyzed, powerless people bound by a generational spirit that produces a deafness to the things of God, a dumbness to the principles of God, and a complete, absolute apathy. And God said that, again, layers out if there's a deaf and dumb spirit in our generation, which clearly there is, then that wouldn't be, there's an application. What does, it look, what does that deaf and dumb spirit look like within the church? What does that deaf and dumb spirit look like within our culture? What does that deaf and dumb spirit look like globally? Because if it's a generational thing, it's going to span all of, those, all of those layers. We have a deaf and dumb generation. We have, a bun, we have a Christians, and there are Christians that are indifferent to the things of God, not hungry for the things of God, not wanting the things of God. They don't care. Or better yet, we're dumb. This is more where we're at. I think we're more on the dumb side. I always say Christian dumb. We don't understand who Jesus actually is. And anytime he, Jesus uses the word perverse, it's the word twisted. And oftentimes when he's uses the word twisted and perverse, he is using it in relationship to himself. He's saying, you're twisted in your understanding of who I am. Wicked and perverse generation. Wicked and twisted generation wants me to do a sign. You know? Here he's saying, faithless and perverse generation. A a generation that doesn't understand the promises and a generation that's twisted in their understanding of who I am? If anything, we're, we're dumb and we're twisted in the way that we understand Jesus. We don't understand kingdom. We don't understand power. We don't understand purpose. And we're so dumb that we actually reject it. We push it away. Jesus said if you want to remove a deaf and dumb spirit from a generation, it requires somebody to fast and pray. And I believe that Jesus wants to shift the generation. I believe that. I truly believe that he is looking for somebody that will actually care. Does anybody care? Does anybody want to see a shift in our generation? It's like, Lord, I do. Well, like, what what, what do you got? Will you pastor a church? Okay, I have some influence. So we have a congregation of believers here, which is awesome. So we can unify and we can believe and we can put corporate power on this thing. And we can begin to fast and pray that God would change our generation. That that we would begin to see fundamental changes that would be amazing. And that's what we want to do. Jesus wants to change a generation. This is kind of what inspired this whole prayer and fast. I kept reading Mark 9. Every time I opened my Bible, I was on Mark 9. And I didn't even have a marker in there, you know, or a little page thread thing, whatever that thing is. The, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. And I kept opening up to Mark 9, and I kept reading Mark 9. I'm like, why am I reading this story? And I kept feeling the Lord pointing out to me this kind, this kind, this kind. And so I was kind of breaking down the verse and trying to say, okay, what kind of spirit is this? Oh, deaf and dumb. Duh. And then I'm like, well, why is it deaf and dumb? And then I just, it just led me to generational. And it's like when Jesus gives you a word and he passes by, he's very subtle. He's very subtle. When the Lord wants to speak to you per- personally, he's very subtle. And what he, wants, he does is he just passes you by. And he wants to know, did you notice me? He'll say something to you in passing or he'll walk by and you'll notice the aroma and you'll go, wow, that's Jesus. And then you kind of follow him and investigate what it is that he's pulling you towards. And then he opens it up and say, how do you know that Kevin? Because I've not listened to the still small voice enough to where I've known I've that, oh wow, that was the Lord. I completely blew that, you know? And so I've learned that when I sense these little things going by me or moving me, I follow them. And so I started to follow this whole thread as to what God was saying. And I felt like he kept saying to me, do you think I want to change a generation? That's what I kept hearing. I hear it even now in my heart. Do you think I want to hear a change of generation? And like I look like Ezekiel. I don't know. Do you? You know? Do these bones live? Ezekiel goes, I got no clue. You do. Can they live? I don't know. He's like, do you think I want to do something in a generation? And I'm like, I don't know. Do you? Do you? And of course he does. He totally does. He's like, I want some people to fast and pray and begin to believe me. So we want to fast and pray. We're going to fast and pray for a lot of things. But I think the target, and I don't even know how to zero the target, but I know the target is a generational shift. And I believe God will show us more in prayer and fast, in the prayer direction kind of as we move into it. Isaiah 58. You guys got anywhere to go? No? I was a little overzealous on verses this morning, so I have long passages of Bible. You want me to do it? All right, I'll do it. All right, And I'm going to give you some stuff I didn't give. First. Isaiah 58. Here again, the people are crying out. And this is what stands out to me is that not only in Joel 2 and Isaiah 58, they cared. The people actually cared that God was not moving among them. You can condemn the Jews for all of their false practices and all this other stuff, but they actually cried out when they noticed that the Lord wasn't moving among them. They, they noticed, wait a second, we don't have prophetic word, we don't have, the Spirit's not moving, what's the problem? And they began to cry out. Again, I'm in spaces where I don't see, I don't see there's not really a heart cry for a generation. And these people are crying out and they're saying, Have you seen our affliction? Have you noticed this, Lord? We're asking you, where are you? How come you're fasting and you don't see? And Jesus begins, the Bible begins to explain to them that you're fasting, and the fasting is good, and I see that, but your attitude in the fast is wrong. He's saying you're arguing. You're taking advantage of your people. You're paying slave labors. You're ripping people off. You're not paying them what you owe them. You're arguing with everyone. You're walking in unforgiveness. You're being wicked to everyone around you, and you think that just because you're you're uh, you're holy or you're fasting that I don't notice that. He says, "I notice the fast, but get the attitude correct." Then he says, "Do you think this is the day to bow yourself down?" He's like, "I didn't call you because what they would do is they would fast and they would, you know, put on their worst clothes and, you know." You know, just walk around really haggard. Oh, I'm fasting so that everybody would notice that they were fasting. Oh, look at me, I'm fasting. Want to go to lunch? No, I'm fasting. I'm just seeking God. Have the joy of the Lord all over me. You know, and that's where Jesus says, listen, when you fast, take a bath. Put your good clothes on. Comb your hair. Look good. Get happy. And he says, you think this is what I want? I don't, I'm not looking for your misery. I'm not asking you to be miserable in front of me. I'm asking you to get intimate with me. Is this what I've chosen? And I want you to not only get intimate with me, but I want there to see some expression from your life. Loose the bonds of wickedness, undo the heavy burdens, let the oppressed go free. In other words, is there anybody you need to forgive? Can you write a list of the people you need to forgive and say, you know what, I'm releasing that person as of today? Isn't it that you break every yoke, that you share your bread with the hungry? We want to try to activate a few different things. Uh, And I was talking with Ingrid, her family feeds the poor. They have a ministry where they go out and they feed the poor. I want to give you guys an opportunity that during the fast, it's not just an abstinence of, you know, the Daniel fast where no meats eats, or bread or sweets, but that you actually have an opportunity to encounter and just serve. You know, so I'm trying to find some ways to give us some interacting points. Share your bread with the hungry. I want to try to identify a couple ministries. I'm trying to get them to come here and maybe do a little speaking for us. One of the things I want to do, and I'm going to talk more about this next week, but um, maybe during the fast, maybe, maybe what you do is, you know, 21 days, and maybe you set aside a little portion of money. Maybe it's a dollar, maybe it's $5. And at the end of the fast, you take that money, not your regular tithe and offering here, but you take that money that you set aside during the fast and you give it to designated sit- charities that work within the city. You know, so maybe you got 50 bucks between the two, you, know, you give a dollar, 21 days, or two bucks, you have $42, you give $21 in this ministry and $21 in that ministry. You're participating in an active way within the fast. You're actually activating the principles that God is calling for here. And he says, if you do this, everybody say then. Say it like you mean it. Then. Then Then your light shall break forth like morning. You see the conditional promise? This will happen if. When you do this, this will happen. There's activating promises. There's keys. Your healing will spring forth speedily, and your righteousness will go before you. The Lord will be your rear guard. Man, that sounds amazing. You shall call, and the Lord will answer. Hello. You shall cry, here am I. If you will take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of your finger, the speaking of wickedness, the gossip, the slander, the accusations, the tearing at one another, all of the painful things that we do as humans, if you'll stop doing it, I'm going to do something. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted, your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as noonday. The Lord will guide you continually. Hello. He will satisfy your soul in drought. Yes, Jesus. He will strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden in a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the waste places. Here again, we have revival. What does revival look like? Revival looks like an outward expression, the rebuilding of the waste places, the rebuilding and the restoration of the foundations that have been lost for what? Many generations. Here again, we have a generational shift. And you shall be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of the streets who dwell in. There's going to be something societal. There's going to be some expression of change here. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, in other words, oh, I got to go to church again. Oh, I got to go gather with God's people. God forbid, I got to go worship. Oh my gosh. Man, I got to go worship. Lord sees that. That's what he's telling him. He's like, you complain because you got to come before me. You know, next time you complain about going to church, I'm going to give you a little advice. You go into the bathroom. You look in the mirror. You give yourself a couple of high karate's, right? (laughs) And you tell yourself, you don't have to go to church. You get to. That's the point. You don't have to do anything. You get to hello you know we get the word we're getting his spirit man he's getting his word we're getting his life this morning you can't buy that that's right so if you turn away from the from the sabbath from doing what you want on my day and you call what i day my day a delight there again i get to this is good god is honoring me that the day of the lord is honorable I honor you this day, Lord, because you have honored me in oh so many ways. I honor you on this day, God, because you are so good to me. It's the very least I can do. It's not like he's getting anything out of this anyway. You're worshiping him. But the whole point of him, you worshiping him, is so he can give you something today. That's who he is. God doesn't need anything. You say, oh, I've got to go give God worship because he's such a narcissist. You know what he told David? He told David, I need nothing. And if I did need something, I wouldn't tell you. He needs nothing. The whole avenue of worship is that he could pour love into you. The whole avenue of getting you here is so he can give you something. That's the whole point. He wants nothing from you. He wants everything for you. He says, stop complaining about it. Well, I guess God's got to bless me again. i got to go get blessed one more time. You know, I don't know. (laughs) Don't find pleasure nor speak your own words. Delight yourself in me. And I will cause you to ride upon the high places. Hello, you see the idea? The fasting was to set aside the self and to put the Lord first, to put him preeminently in everything. That's the idea. And if you'll do that, I'm gonna put you on a high place and I'm gonna feed you. Here it is. This is amazing verse. I will feed you with the heritage of your birthright. Are you serious? Anybody want the heritage of your birthright? You're a son and a daughter. You have a birthright. And he said, if you will put me first, and you will set aside the things that you're hungry for, and you'll begin to hunger for me and the things that I want. If you'll do that, I'm going to feed you with the heritage of your birthright. Yeah, exactly. Wow. What what does that mean? I don't know, but it sounds really cool. And I say, yes, again, Lord, I want that. And the people were wondering if the Lord was speaking. Can the Lord, can you just answer us? And so at the end, he says, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He said, you want me to hear you? You want me to do something? You want me to revive your days? You want me to shift your generation? This is what it looks like. And in case you're wondering, I, uh, yes, I have spoken. Fasting brings about the will of the Lord. Fasting stirs up a hunger for the things of heaven. That's the idea. So fasting isn't just like just to sustain for food and be tortured. Fasting is like when we fast, we, hunt, we read our Bible. When we fast, we worship. And I hope to resource you with some things over the next few weeks. Resources, not, not only that, but here's the deal. Anybody remember when you first got saved? Anybody remember that? The joy of your salvation, everything was colorful, everything was beautiful, music sounded better, you know, everything's like, wow. Fasting is a realignment with the original purpose. It's a shifting back to your hunger. And in case you don't think it matters to God, it matters to him. One of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible is Jeremiah 2. The Lord says, I remember you. Huh? What does he remember? I remember the devotion of your youth. When you were so excited about me, I remember that. That mattered to me. I remember how as a bride you loved me and followed me wherever I went, even through the wilderness. Anybody remember that? Yes, Jesus. Whatever you want me to do, right? You would do anything. That renewal of joy. He said, you followed me through a wilderness and you followed me even into a land that was not sown because you loved me that much and you trusted me that much, that you would blindly follow me, the Lord says, I remember you. You were holy to me, and you were the first fruits of the harvest. You don't think God has favorites? He doesn't have favorites, he has intimates. He has no favorites. We're all equal before Jesus, but he does have intimates. Those who want him, he favors. Those who want him are the fine vintage. Those who, and there's plenty of Christians that don't want him, so you know, lots of them. You can line them up, right? So the point being is God's saying, those who want me are first fruits to me. Those who love me and hunger for me, you're my special portion. You're the reserve, you know, you're the ones I put on display. So when I got angelic guests coming over to the house and I need to crack a bottle of wine and I need to show them something, I want to go, hey, check out my first fruits. Look at the ones who love me. Look at the ones who follow me. Look at the ones who want more of me. What are we looking to do? Hunger for the things of heaven produces intimacy with God. Hunger for the things of heaven causes God to separate you from the pack. Anybody want to be separated from the pack? You say, well, that doesn't sound fair. Everybody say it with me. There's nothing fair about favor. Nothing fair about it. You're all loved, you say. Well, I want favor. Well, then get intimate. I want favor. Well, then get hungry. I don't know how to do that. We'll start with that. Lord, I want to get intimate, but I don't know what to do. Can you start there? That's a great place to start. I don't know what I'm doing. Hey, join the party. He loves that. He's not into the person that knows everything that they're doing. He's not into the person that thinks they got it all figured out. You go, Lord, I want to love you and I want to be hungry for you, but I don't exactly know what to do. So, can maybe you could give me some clues and maybe help me out or just show me some little things and and you'll begin to hear, read your Bible, you know, he'll he'll begin to speak to you. You don't have to know everything, he'll teach you. One of Jesus' names is Rabbi, which means teacher. You don't have to know everything, you don't have to have it all figured out. You can just have the desire and go, hey, show me. What are we looking to do? We're gonna do 21 day Daniel fast. What is that? Well, there's different types of fasts in the Bible. You have the absolute fast, where they kind of go periods of time with no food, liquids, obviously. And then you have something called the Daniel fast, which Daniel did twice in the book of Daniel. And it's 21 days with no meat, no breads, no sweets. So what are we asking you to do? Salads and smoothies for 21 days. All right? Ouch. It's not that bad. Really? It's not. And so what can you do? You can go hardcore and you can go all 21 days. Me, I'm going hardcore. You know? Sherry's like, you're going 21 days? I'm like, yeah, I'm going 21 days. I'm going to ask the church to do a 21-day fast and I'm not going to do it. Justin's going to be my surrogate. Oh, uh, you fasting, Pastor? No, Justin's fasting on my behalf. He's my. <laughs> and so you can pick it that way. You can take the three weeks, and you can pick a couple of days out of each week. You can pick one day out of each week. So we're going to go from the 10th to the 31st. And you can go, OK, well, I'm going to do this on Mondays and Wednesdays. OK, fine. Or I'm going to do this Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Or I'm going to do one day. And if you're going to pick one day, I have to ask people to do Fridays, because we're doing corporate prayer on that Friday. You can go all of it. You can, you know, segment it. And you just need to pray about what you want to do and, you know, like spiritually and mentally prepare yourself for it. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that last week, next week. And so you can do it that way. You can pick days and interact that way. You can go all in, right? According to your faith, so be it unto you. Believe God for something. We'll talk about that next week. Um, you can fast something meaningful. You say, you know what, Kevin, I don't know if I can do it, man. I got, I got, like, got to have my like, steak and eggs every morning. I'm not sure if I can, I can go in, all in on this. Okay, well, then can you fast something meaningful? So if you're like a steak and egg guy and you can't give up your steak and eggs, well, can you give up coffee? <laughs> can you fast something meaningful? Can you fast something meaningful in total? Or can you fast something meaningful in part? What we're trying to do is we're trying to create a corporate mindset, a, a unified belief, and we're going uni- to, to, to see God move in power. That's what we want. Move in power in your life. Move in power in this church. Move in power in the city. God knows we need it. Move in power in our nation. That's what we're believing God for. We're going to start the fast on the 10th. We're going to go until the 31st. Works really nice and neat. So we tend to the 31st. So that's next Sunday all the way down to, uh, I go to KB's restaurant. Uh, We go there sometimes on Sundays. He was here last week, and he came up to me, and he goes, so, Uh, So it's going to be salads and broth for the next uh, couple of weeks here, huh, Kevin? I was like, yeah, man. But anyway, so we're going to do prayer days. We're going to do Friday night prayer on the 15th, the 22nd, and the 29th. And the whole, again, is just an attitude of just devotion. Lord, I'm setting aside. I'm consecrating. I'm setting aside something that means something to me in order to honor you. You're not going to be blessed by sacrificing. There's no blessing in sacrificing. There's no blessing. The blessing comes after the sacrifice. You understand that? David said, I will make no offering to God that costs me nothing. The Bible actually tells that there is to be pain in the offering. If there's no pain in the offering, then it really isn't an offering. Jesus said the same thing when everybody was giving their tithes and offerings. Everybody dumps the coin in and the disciples were like, holy cow. You know, everybody, whoosh. They would dump the money in the chamber and disciples would be doing the wave. Wow, Lord, did you see that offering? Wow. And the little widow woman comes in and she just goes, tink, tink. Jesus said she gave more than all of them. She gave more than all of them. Why? Because her offering hurt. Her offering, I felt the pain of her offering. They gave, and it was like lunch money, you know? Yeah, but they gave 10 grand. Again, they gave, it was lunch money. She gave, and it hurt. She gave more than all of them. There's got to be pain in the offering. So when, you know when you're sitting, when you're fasting, it's not like you're going to be like, woo, man, yeah. You're not there's going to be something that happens within it. When you're setting aside time, and you're going to go, I'm going to give up my Friday night to come to prayer, man. I don't know about that. It's called consecrate, set it aside, make it matter. And you go, yeah, but we just kind of sit here and listen to music, and a couple people get up on the microphone and say a few things, and then we just—it's so boring, man. Not to the Lord, it's not boring. You know It's boring to you, but it's not boring to him. Okay, The things that we think is boring are not boring to him. It matters to him because it's not about you. We minister unto the Lord. That's one of the avenues that a priest has. We minister not only unto the other, but we minister unto the Lord. And Oftentimes we think it's only the Lord's ministry to us. You're completely missing it. We have a ministry unto the Lord. Fasting is a ministry unto the Lord. Worship is a ministry unto the Lord. Prayer is a ministry unto the Lord. That's what it is. And we're to minister unto him. Ha, what an honor. The creator of the universe gives you an opportunity to burn incense in front of him. And you just stand there with a bowl of incense. That's what it looked like. You ever seen a minister incense? This is what it looks like. They put the king and whatever, and they bring the incense in. The guy just stands there with a bowl of incense, holding the bowl of incense. You know? The guy with the bowl of incense is probably going, man, I got other things to do. You know, this is crazy. And the king's just like, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. Because it's ministering unto him. It's not a ministry to us. It's a ministry unto him. What would happen if we began to take that as a perspective and began to live our lives ministering, not just receiving ministry from him, but saying, Lord, let me minister back to you. Let me give you back. Huh? Alabaster box? Can we talk? What was that? A ministry unto the Lord. She broke the alabaster box. And Judas, the secular selfish one said you're wasting it that's an absolute waste you got better things to do with your friday night you got better things to do with your time than fast and pray you're wasting it what a waste of time what a joke mary broke the box over him It was worth a lot of money it was very priceless and jesus said she has done me a service this means nothing to you this probably means nothing to her except the pain that she feels of something that her family has had for generations It's the whole story behind the alabaster box. The scholars believe it was something that was carried generationally out of Egypt because it was made of a specific type of alabaster. And that alabaster was quarried in Egypt. They could only get that alabaster in Egypt. And so they believe it was something generational because of its value and worth that her family had carried with her, probably going back generations. She took something that was priceless. She felt the pain of the offering and put it on him. She probably felt nothing but pain and sacrifice. She probably felt nothing but inconvenience. This is so inconvenient for me to do. This is something I don't really want to do, but it's something I feel like I need to do. And she broke it over him. The disciples weren't impressed either. They're like, how boring. How boring. Oh, gosh. She's putting a bunch of oil in Jesus' head. What a joke. What a waste. And Jesus said, she ministers to me. Huh? She ministers to me. And wherever this gospel is preached, this story will be told as a memorial. And we're in 2016, and I'm telling you the story as a memorial. She ministers to me. means nothing to you. means probably nothing but pain to her, but it matters to me. And she will not be forgotten. She will not be forgotten in her generation. She will not be forgotten in all of the preceding generations, and she will not be forgotten in the kingdom. think ministry to the Lord doesn't matter. So we're believing God for a revelation into the next season. We're believing God for a next level increase. Next level increase in faith, next level increase in whatever area of your life you're seeking, next level increase. New season, understanding what the season is. Elijah fasted for 40 days and God showed him the future. Daniel was fasting for 21 days and Jesus showed him the future. We want revelation into the, next gener- into the new season. We want next level increase. We want a generational shift in our land. These are the targets. You know, begin to stir your hunger. Begin to ask God what it is that you're hungry for. Begin to ask God to show you your heart. Begin to ask him how you should align yourself within this fast. And he may just tell you, listen, don't ask me for anything, just align with me. Don't ask me for anything, just do this for me and minister to me, and I'll minister back to you. I have a lot of times where I tell the Lord, I don't even know what to ask you for, but I just ask you for whatever you wanna give me. You know, because what he wants to give me is far and away greater than what anything I'm asking for. So just begin to stir your heart in that way and agree. We're believers, this stuff is true or it is not. And the only way we understand it is true is if we apply it. And if it's not true, we should all go fishing. We should Seriously, we should all find something else to do. But if it's true, we should be applying it. We should be intentionally and actively applying it, intentionally pressing in, because he said it. He said it. And as he's told me, have I, did I stutter when I said that, Kevin? Do you read me stuttering? Are you reading this, and that's conviction I've had, and I'm going to close right here. Lord's showing me things. In this past years, as I've prayed, and He began to show me insights, and, in, and as I began to get revelation into things that I'd never seen before, new, new stuff, and He would show me. Do you think that's poetry? Do you think I just didn't have nothing to better to do, and I just decided to fill the page with words because I got nothing better to say? Or do you actually think that I'm saying what I'm meaning? Do you actually think that what I'm saying I want to do? Do you actually think that what I'm declaring, I want to happen? That's the question. We have to decide, where are we at? Are his promises poetry, or is his prom- are his promises true? And only one way to find out, <laughs> only one way to find out. We go again, and again, and again, and again, and again. And Jesus always does something. So this is what we're calling you to do. To start the fast next, next week um going to go through the January 31st asking you to participate in some way not asking you to do anything beyond what you're willing to commit to but what i am asking you to commit to something